Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the following message. It was great to be with you this morning. Hey, there we go. I was going to say, I heard you guys singing loud. You can't, you can't dog me like that. You got to be engaged, okay? It is good to be with you. For those of you worshiping online, we're thankful that you would tune in with us and worship alongside of us. It's a great morning. It's a great time in the history of Israel, as you're going to see here in just a moment. So if you have a Bible, I hope you do. Why don't you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. You may notice that I always say something to the effect of, I hope you have a Bible. It's incredibly important that if you're a Christian that you have one of these. If you don't have one of these, we will get you one. But I want everybody in this room to have a Bible. We're going to talk about the centrality of God's Word this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, again, we would love to get you one, okay? So Nehemiah chapter 8. So as we talked about last week, right, we built the wall. The wall has been rebuilt. Praise God. The wall's built. Now we're going to be turning a page to a new chapter in Israel's history. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah chapter 8 is the climax for our story. But to appreciate where we are in this climax, this peak of their history, we need to go back and, and talk a little bit about how we got here. It's always helpful to reflect on the past and how we got here. And so if you recall... Uh, from chapter 1, Nehemiah receives a call from God, right, to leave Persia, to go to Jerusalem, to the motherland, to unite the people of God together for the task of rebuilding the wall. And as Nehemiah, he shows up to answer God's call in his life, obedient to God's call, he can't believe what he sees. He sees this remnant of people divided um, and then he sees these ruins, and, and he asks the question, how in the world can a people be so content living amongst ruins? And so knowing what God had called him to do, he unites the people. He gets this fragile, broken, divided people. He brings them together all to rebuild the wall. And now it's accomplished. The wall has been built. But maybe you'll recall from chapter 1 and then on into chapter 2, we reiterated that that the physical walls, the ruins that they, had, that, that, that they were living in, were actually a symptom. They were a symptom of a far greater problem. And that problem was that they were content. The people of God had become content with living apart from him and apart from his word. And so now as we turn the page, what we're going to be talking about is less of the physical walls, the physical structure but rather rebuilding the spiritual walls, what's on the inside, rebuilding the spiritual walls of the people of God. And you know where that all begins? It begins with the word of God. It's the anchor of everything that we do, everything that we say, all of, the, all of our worship. And so that's what we're going to be talking about is that we've got to be a word-centered people. Okay, so do me a favor, pick up with me in verse 1. Of chapter 8. In verse 1 of chapter 8, the text says this And all of the people gathered together as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra, to, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and all who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Notice that it's the book of the law. What are we talking about? The first five books of the Old Testament. And I want you to see, as we're going to talk about more in a minute, they were attentive to the book of the law. And listen, I'm not making you read the Bible from 8 a.m. until noon. So you're welcome for that. You only have to stay in with me for 30 minutes. Okay, so surely we can do that. But I want you to notice something. Man, this is a powerful, powerful moment for the people of God, right? The text says that they gathered together men, women, children, everybody. But notice how it describes the people. They gathered together as one. They gathered together as one person, like a beautiful symphony orchestra where there's many, many, many instruments, people playing those instruments from all walks of life, all coming together, all under one accord, or like a beautiful choir. If you've ever experienced just a beautiful choir, maybe even that was uh, this morning, where you just heard all of these voices, men and women with various vocal uh, tone and quality, all those things come together, and it sounds like one beautiful voice. Or maybe you're like me. I don't know if you're like me, if your household's like me, but there's something that it just does something to my heart when my kids just get along, right? You know, it, it, there's something amazing about when Lane and Drew, when they get along, it, it's, man, they're not complaining, they're not fighting one another, they're not upset with one another. It's just, it does something good to my heart when I see my kids all playing together, playing as one. I wonder what it might do to our father's heart when his children are not complaining or bickering or frustrated with one another, but, but they play as one. I think it's a beautiful time in Israel's history as they came together to worship the Lord as one. They were able to set their preferences aside and worship God. Now, not only did they come together as one, but you'll notice from the text but they, as they gathered, they sat under the teaching of God's word. They sat under the teaching of God's word. Here's the reason. It's because the word of God has to be what directs our worship. The word of God has to be what directs our worship. You might look in verses five and six. In verse five, the text says, "'And Ezra, he opened the book in the sight of all of the people, "'for he was above all the people.'" And as he opened it, all of the people stood. I love this. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all of the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Listen, I'll tell you, there's something dangerous when the word of God becomes the centerpiece of a worship service. You know what happens? It can take even the most stuffy Baptist crowd and make all of us Pentecostal. I mean, listen to that, right? As he opened up the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, do you remember, how many of y'all are still in your reading plan for the year? A handful of you, you're making it through Leviticus. That's good, praise God. Well, Ezra, all he does is he opens up the word, holds the word high, and the people stood. Their hands went up. 
Amen, 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 as they worshiped God. See, this is the power of God's written word. It must be the centerpiece of everything that we do. You know, uh, many of you probably don't know this, but I am terrified of public speaking. Terrified of it. Like I would rather get hit by a bus, let the bus back up, run back over my chest, maybe like, like pause there for a minute. I mean, I, public speaking is not my thing. It terrifies me. And so when God had called me to, 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 be, to go to the ministry, I made a deal with God, which you don't want everyone to make a deal with God because it's probably gonna go bad for you. Um, hence, I'm standing on this stage this morning. Um, so I make a deal with God and I say, okay, listen, God, I'm, I'm down, I'm, I'm ready, I can go to the ministry. Jordan finally agreed, so that was the green light. And so, man, we took off, headed to Southwestern Seminary, and it was during that time where God really clarified my calling. And I remember in this deal with God, I said, you know what, God, I got a business degree. I know a thing or two about business. I'll do the business side of church. That's fine, I can do that. Or maybe if we were so bold, we, would, we could go to the mission field. And so I remember really thinking through as we went to seminary, we, we were gonna be on the mission field because there's no way I was gonna be preaching. There's no way I was gonna be teaching. And so through this time, working in a church, being forced to speak, and, and I mean forced, because it was forced, all of these different things, God began to clarify that call. And during that time, here's what he showed me. He showed me the, the, the misplaced nature of my fear of public speaking. And what he showed me was, my belief was that for me to get up and, and teach in front of people, I would have to entertain folks that I would have to somehow generate worship or I would have to fill a room or lack thereof in some cases. And the pressure of that terrified me. But then I, I sat down and I think it was actually through my annual reading plan, I got to Nehemiah chapter eight and I realized, oh, it didn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with this word. See, it wasn't Nehemiah it wasn't Ezra that called them to worship. It was the word of God that called them to worship. All, all Ezra did is he opened the word of God and it was the word of God that compelled the people to stand. It was the word of God that compelled them to raise their hands. It was the word of God that called them to worship. It's God that brings us together. It's God's word that directs our worship. But not only that, but it's also God's word that directed their obedience. And I want you to see that in verses 13 through 15. So it's God's word that directs their worship, God's word that directs their obedience. In verse 13, the text says, and on the second day, I want you to see this, men. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem. And so let's just say their worship service happened to be on a Sunday. That next Monday morning, guess what happened? The men were so compelled that all the men showed up to meet with Ezra the scribe, the priests, the Levites, all to study the word. And I wonder what would happen if the men in our church said, you know what, I'm gonna take the word of God so seriously that I'm gonna show up on a Monday morning and I'm gonna be knocking on the door and I'm gonna be here before anybody else gets here because we are gonna be serious about God's word 
and it being the thing that transforms us, our church, our community, and the world. Because that's what happens. All of the men, they, they gather together, they show up to study the word, and here's what they realized. They realized that they were out of step with the word. They were out of step with the law. In their case specifically, talking about the Feast of Booths, Right? What they noticed in the law is that God had commanded them to, uh, to, to obey him and obey his command to do the feast and honor the Feast of Booths, which just simply meant that over a particular period of time, they would live in booths. They would live in tents also that they could reflect on God's provision and his protection for them in the wilderness. And so you know what the men did? They said, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna publish this in the city we're gonna align our hearts, our lives, our communities, our families with the word. And so they called upon the entire community to engage. And guess what the people did? They followed, they followed. See, there's something interesting about when God gets a hold of the man of the household, something seems to change. Something seems to change. He calls upon the men, the men call them to obedience and the people obey. And so they sat under the authority of God's word. They studied it and they began to apply it to their lives. And I want you to hear me on this this morning. God's word will be of little help to us, to our church, if we are not applying it on Monday morning. It's very easy to show up to a worship service, to hear a sermon, or to sit down and read for 15 minutes in the morning and then to walk away and it never change us. God's word must be the center of everything that we do, everything we say, and if that's gonna be the case, then it has to be the thing that's transforming us. So they sat under God's authority, but then here's what they did, they obeyed. You'll see that in verse 17. Look with me there. In verse 17, it says, and all of the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, and they lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, they read from the, they, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And there's something so powerful when the people of God come together to worship God, to worship him and him alone. But there's something magical about when the people of God live transformed lives on Monday. There's something powerful about the worship service. But man, there's something equally as magical of us during the week when we're actually living out the things that we talk about on Sunday morning. And here's what happens to the people of God. When they follow God in obedience, you know what the result is? You know what the fruit is? Joy. It's joy. It's joy. I love what Nehemiah says in verse 10. He says, it's for the joy of the Lord that's our strength. I wonder what would happen if the joy from Sunday morning, coming together as one, men, women, children, all together as one, of, as one person. I wonder what would happen if that joy, empowered by the Spirit, initiated by the Word, what if that poured out into our work life, our home life, our school life, our neighborhoods, here's what I think would happen. You ready? It would be contagious. You wanna know why it would be contagious? 
because we're all desperate for it. We're all seeking it. What we're all seeking deep within our hearts is joy. Now, unfortunately, it has been uh, misunderstood as happiness. And so you'll hear it. Uh, you'll see the self-help books all along the shelves in Barnes and Nobles or in Amazon, right? And so there's this idea of happiness. But here's the deal. Happiness is a cheap substitute for eternal joy. And what you and I, what we're all longing for this morning is not happiness. It's joy. It's a deep, abiding unfettered joy that comes from knowing God, knowing his word, and living it out in everyday life. And so all that being said, here's, here, here's what I wanna do. I wanna take the next few minutes and I wanna talk about four key things that I think you and I need to know and understand as we move forward. Yes, this is sermon number two. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. I got four points that I want us to all understand as we leave this worship service. There are four things that I want every one of us to know. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes, here's your first one. We all need to agree in the authority of God's word. If we're gonna be a word-centered church, we need to all agree in the authority of God's word. It is of no help if I get up here and I preach the Bible from week to week if, if, if our church doesn't believe that it's true and that it bears authority over our lives. God's word is true and it bears authority over our lives. Like an artist, God has the authority over all that he creates. He is the owner of the universe. He's the owner of creation. We learned that in Genesis chapter one, that God created everything, right? In Genesis chapter two, what do we learn? That God creates man and he creates them in his own image. And then unfortunately, as you keep reading, we get to chapter three and then what happens? Well, that image that God created us in his image is distorted and it's distorted because men and women, Adam and Eve, chose to go a different way from God's authority, choosing their own way, which by the way is sin, for us to understand what is true and for us to go our own way, to exchange what is true, to go our own way. Adam and Eve did that. And so our image that was perfectly created in God's own image is distorted. And so since that point in history, God has been working to restore his perfect image in you and I this morning. And he does it through the, his word. Paul wrote these words in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 18. He says, all of scripture, all of it is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training and righteousness that the man and woman of God would be complete, to be whole. And so as we come to God in faith, we are made right with him through faith. And then as we willingly submit to God's word, he begins to transform our lives from the inside out into the very image of Christ. We need to agree that God's authority bears weight over our lives. Number two, we all need to be attentive to God's instruction. We need to be attentive to God's instruction. I love in the latter part of verse three, chapter eight, the text says that the people gathered together as one and as Ezra read from the book of the law, the people were attentive. They were attentive to what they had heard. 
To be attentive means that, that you're sitting on the edge of your seat, anxiously awaiting what's coming next. It's kind of that same idea, right? If you're at a basketball game and your team is losing, you're down by two points in the, in the second half, there's only two minutes left to go in the game, you're anxiously sitting on the edge of your seat watching every move of the ball because you just gotta know how it ends. In the same way, man, when we come to the word, we need to be attentive, to be aggressively listening to what it is that God would have for us, what it is that God would say to us, and what it is that God wants from us. It's to believe the promise of Isaiah 55, 11. Belinda read that this morning, that, that God's word will not return void, right? It will accomplish its purpose. It's to believe the same thing that the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter four, I believe, when he said that the word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword so that when we come to it, when I come to this word, what it does is it opens up my soul. It does heart surgery, so we think we're reading the word, but really the word is actually reading us. Something powerful when you and I are attentive to God's instruction. But then number three, we all need to allow God's word to lead our worship. We need to allow God's word to lead our worship. You know, currently we live in a world that says that there's no truth and that everything is considered relative to our feelings and interpretations. A major problem with this is that our feelings end up dictating what we believe to be true rather than allowing what is actually true to dictate our feelings and our interpretations. But guess what? Thankfully for you and me in this room, we don't have to guess about what is true. We don't have to guess because God has given it to us right here. He says, hey, listen, this is what's true of the world. As a matter of fact, it's what's true of God it's what's true of mankind. It's what's true of sin and salvation and the eternal life. This right here tells us exactly what is true. It's the story of God. It's the story of how he created the world. It's the story how humankind chose to go their own way and because of that, we're eternally separated from him and yet it's also the same story that tells us what is true and that Jesus came to this earth to give his life for you and for me so that all who would say yes would have eternal life in his name. Listen, that is the true story of the world. It's the true story of your purpose. If you've ever wanted to know, God, what is my purpose for life? All you gotta do is go right here. Students, if you wanna know what is my identity in this world of identity crisis, it's right here. It's that you're a child of God that you're holy, it's that, it's, that, it's that he loves you, that he has called to adopt you and he wants you, he desires you. He's given his son in order to purchase your life. You wanna know your identity, it's right here. So the story of God, the story of everything, we don't have to worry about what's true or what's false because we have it right here. It's God's word. It's his truth that triumphs over this new concept called my truth. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's actually no such thing as my truth. Here's the reason why. Because all truth is God's truth. All, God's, all truth is God's truth. He owns the universe, he owns everything in it. And so for anything to be true, it must begin with its originator. 
So for you or for me to say, oh, well, that's, that's your truth or that's my truth, that's literally to say that I am the creator, I am the originator of the universe. All truth is God's truth. And we need to allow it to direct our worship, to direct our lives. And then number four, we all need to adhere to its direction. We need to adhere to its direction. To adhere means to obey. And as we saw for Israel, the fruit of their obedience was joy. It wasn't misery. It wasn't drudgery. It was joy. It wasn't bondage. It was joy. It was freedom. It was peace and security. See, God's instruction is not some weight that is placed upon you in order to enslave you. But rather, God's law, God's word is calling you into freedom. It's calling you into peace. It's calling you into security. It's calling you into life. Even Jesus himself said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word of God. Why is that? It's because it's the word that satisfies us. It's the word that sustains us. And it's the word lived out in obedience that produces our joy. And it's a joy that the world is so desperately hungry for. And so church, here's my contention this morning. If you haven't already been able to tell, here's my contention for us this morning. God's word, not tradition, not a documentary, not a pastor, not a friend, not a family member. God's word must be the center of everything that we do. It must be the center of everything we say, everything we do. It must be our guiding light for the way that you and I live life. Now, I wanna make a quick distinction. There's a difference between being attentive to God's word and adhering to God's word. It's the very same concept that James tackles in in James chapter three, where he says, hey, listen, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer also. For it's in our doing where you and I experience the blessing of both hearing and doing. And so my desire, my hope this morning is that you are challenged this morning to not just be a hearer, but to be a doer to be a person who's, who, who places themselves before God's word and says, God, I, I'm all in. I'm all in with you. I'm all in with the community. I'm all in for one another. I'm all in for the world. But it's gonna be this. It's gotta be this that directs our efforts. It's gotta be this that directs our energy. It's gotta be God's word that you and I, the anchor for you and I to move forward as a church. Amen? Amen. All right, well, here's what I wanna do as we have been doing over the last couple of weeks. I want us to spend some time in prayer. And so if you would, go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes as we just go to the Lord and we ask him for these things. First, ask the Lord, God, we just wanna say thank you this morning. I thank you that you have given us your written word, that you didn't leave your children without direction or guidance or hope. But Father, you have given us your word to help us navigate this world and to know what is true and to know what is false. So Lord, we thank you for that. So just take some time and just thank God.
And then secondly, just ask the Lord, God, would you just open my eyes, open my heart to see areas where I have been disobedient to your word? Where I have not taken it seriously and I've failed to, to believe the value and the power that's in it. Make our church a word-centered church. Pray Isaiah 55, 11 over us and just ask that the, that the word of God would accomplish its purpose in us, that it would not return void, but that we would be transformed by its power. Father, we come to you humbled by your presence, thanking you, God, that you see us, you know us, you love us. There's nothing that happens on this planet, Father, that you are not keenly aware of. And so, Lord, thank you for that. For the things that we're experiencing in the world, the things that we're experiencing in the culture, God, you are not oblivious to those things, but Father, you know exactly what's going on in these issues, and Lord, you have given us your word to help us navigate life, to navigate the tough things, to navigate the good things, parenting and work life and work and home balance and what it means to live as a disciple of Christ on this earth, and so Father, we thank you for that. Thank you that your word is true. We don't have to second guess that because we just know that it's true because you say it's true. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.